What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO at W2O Group and the host of the What to Know podcast show. I am broadcasting live at the place where I started this uh, podcast a year ago, which is John Battelle's Shift Forum. And uh, today I am going to talk to a variety of also very interesting guests. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting our next guest, who is Suhail Khan. He is the Director of External Affairs at this uh, little company from the Northwest called Microsoft, you may have heard of. He's been there, I believe, for about seven years so far. Um, happens to know Haroon Ula, who's one of our other guests and a speaker at South by this year. So first of all, welcome, Suhail. Thank you. Good to be with you, Aaron. Well, it's good to have you here. And uh, where I bumped into you is we did some lunch conversation around competency, minimum competency around politics. And the thing that I really liked is, um, first of all, you had a fascinating background. But second of all, you came to the table saying you supported um, W uh, during his two terms. And so you sort of tipped your hand to what was probably otherwise a little bit more of a liberal crowd. But I loved the civility of the discussions. And you also weren't afraid to put opposing viewpoints on the table. So I thought to myself, I've got to I've got to interview this guy, and it didn't hurt that you have a Wikipedia page. Either brave or crazy, right? Yeah. Brave or crazy. I love it. So um, as I mentioned in our prep, I do like to go back a little bit to the beginning. And in this case, I think I'm going to go back further than I do with most, which often starts with college or their first job. So you were born in Boulder, Colorado, but um, you came from India. And maybe you could just talk a little bit about your parents' journey, or their parents, I should say, came from India. Right. And then, you know, sort of what that was like. And then we'll get into a little bit more of your political career before you went to the, uh, the, the big bad or the big good Microsoft. That's not bad <laughs> at all. Sure, sure. Well, you know, like a lot of uh, Americans, uh, m- you know, my parents' story was one really of an aspirational dream. My father, uh, unlike a lot of South Asians today, uh, was not encouraged to get an education by his parents, particularly his father. Uh, his father worked in a small tobacco shop and you know, what he really expected of his kids was to, as soon as you got old enough, 12, 13 years old, to stop going to school and start working and support the family. And uh, my father, a middle child, uh, had the audacity to want to finish high school and then worse after that to go to college. And, um, you know, coming from a poor family, particularly a family that did not support him either financially or really with the dream of uh, an education, he began to look around to see where can I where can I achieve that? And eventually, um, through actually a, a fascinating story, he was the only uh, student in all of India at the time, this is, of course, at the height of the Cold War, who was granted a scholarship to study nuclear physics, which then was the hot technology of the time in the Cold War uh, in the late 50s, early 60s, it, at the University of Moscow. But his family determined that even uh, though this was a great opportunity, that Moscow being at the heart of the Soviet Union, uh, that that would not be something that his parents would support, and he relented and did not go. And by uh, fortuitous luck, he was uh, awarded a scholarship by the University of Wyoming in Laramie the following year. And there his parents said, yeah, okay, you can go. America is a special place. Uh, And so he flew on a plane for the first time in his life, landed in New York City, uh, like many other immigrants uh, for the last two centuries, took a Greyhound bus to Laramie, Wyoming, uh, and started his, you know, his American journey. 
By the way, that may be the first time those two universities have ever been mentioned in the same <laughs> breath at the same time. Right. <laughs> so you, you did that, and obviously you followed in the footsteps of uh, getting a higher education. So you Cal Berkeley for undergrad, and then you went back to your, I guess Wyoming isn't really Midwest, but it's you know more the center of the country, uh, definitely more down to earth, right, than some of the coasts at the um, University of Iowa College of Law. Go Hawks. Uh, and then, you know, you um, you took a job as the assistant to the secretary for policy. Um, this is a sort of interesting. No, actually, part of the before journey. that, I I worked for my hometown congressman, Tom Campbell. OK, right. Yeah, well, I wasn't sure how, how those two connected because I, I don't <laughs> see this on your LinkedIn, although I think it is on the Wikipedia. Oh, OK. Well, so sorry. You update that. So yes, people my like fault, me can get my your, fault. Uh, yeah, you can't no, no, you can't bad. believe everything on the Internet. But no, I, I right out of law school, I uh, came home uh, to the Bay Area. And just by, again, another uh, stroke of luck, uh, this time falling on me, the longtime congressman from my district who had served there for 22 years, a Democrat by the name of Norman Mineta, decided to retire early. And the San Jose Mercury News had the story about all the candidates that might possibly run for this seat uh, that had long been held by a very uh, well-known and, and highly regarded uh, public servant, Norman Mineta. And Tom Campbell was kind of at the footnote because he didn't live in the district and he was a Republican. And this was a largely Democratic district. So I called his office at Stanford, introduced myself, and I had some campaign experience uh, in politics previous uh, to making that phone call. And he uh, met me, hired me, won the election, and took me to Washington, D.C. Well, that's great. And uh, that sort of led you on a further journey uh, in politics. And I think one of the things we talked about was because... Um, Mark McKinnon, who's another one of our podcast guests, worked also for uh, George W. Bush. You had the luxury of spending some time there, maybe talk a little bit about what that was like and um, lessons learned. And I will tell you personally, while I was not a huge George W. Bush fan, during our current administration, I longed for the days of sanity and even though maybe a little more conservative than I liked, um, I have a greater appreciation for those days in politics. I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, you know, in 2001, I was uh, honored to uh, be asked to serve uh, at first in the White House Office of Public Liaison, which is a fa fancy name for the outreach office in the White House, where I uh, worked on outreach to various uh, uh, parts of the American uh, uh, society, including uh, military and veterans communities, uh, the uh, faith communities. Uh, which of course was very important to President George W. Bush. Uh, many of the different ethnic uh, groups in our country, including the Asian American communities. And then particularly after 9-11, and I was there uh, in the White House for 9-11 and that tragedy, uh, there was a strong emphasis to reach out to underrepresented minorities, including the Muslim American community, Of uh, and I, I am Muslim American. And George W., as many may recall, had a strong commitment to going after those that did us harm on that fateful day in New York, in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and in Washington, D.C., and Northern Virginia, but also to remind our fellow Americans that uh, those that did us harm uh, need to, uh, you know, be held to bear, but that we shouldn't scapegoat or uh, engage in any type of stereotyping against our friends and neighbors because they may share the same faith or may look like they sh share the same faith as those who attacked us. So there are a lot of people that will talk that talk, but you have actually gone well beyond that. And this was another fascinating part of the story as I was doing some fast research on you. And that is that you've um, been on a couple of interfaith missions over to uh, Auschwitz and to you know some of the, the concentration camps. Um, clearly 
I'm sure there were Muslims that were persecuted, but obviously a lot of Jews as well. Um, you have another trip coming up. Let's talk a little bit about what inspired you to do that and maybe a little bit of what that experience was like and what people could look forward to or you're looking forward to this next trip. No, thanks for asking about that, Aaron. That's something I'm very passionate about. You know, when I, the, the thing I learned uh, serving on Capitol Hill and in the Bush administration was that, uh, you know, growing up, we were often taught that one of the things you don't want to talk about in polite company are the few things were faith and politics. Well, our national security really rested at the intersection of those two. Suddenly, we were thrust into a conversation about religion, about geopolitics, about politics. As you said, you know, not everybody obviously supported uh, President George W. Bush. And so we were a divided country in many ways. And yet our future really rested at the intersection of those very topics. And so I began to really kind of grapple with those issues and search for ways to really engage in conversations with people of various uh, political stripes. I've been doing that on Capitol Hill, but now it seemed like the gravity was even that much more weighty. And then beyond that, getting into the much more contentious, if you think politics is crazy, the contentious dialogues of faith that, as we know, can often launch wars and can lead to real violence. And what I found was um, there are really good people uh, in the world that are motivated by their faith from the Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, and other faiths. And oftentimes, those good people are overshadowed by those that do horrible, horrific, violent things in the name of their faith. And so I, I decided that I had kind of two options at that point. One was to try to minimize faith. And unfortunately, some in our society have tried to do that, I would say, wrongly. Uh, not that People, of course, should be free to believe in what they believe in, but to respect the other, I think, is, is so important, uh, even if they're, and particularly if their motivation is faith-based, um, but also to reach across different faith lines, to, to, to look for ways that, yes, we disagree on issues of salvation, but in the end, that is, in fact, in God's hands, but we are neighbors, we're classmates, we're co-workers, we are Americans. How can we work together cross faith lines to solve the challenges of our day? And so what I embarked on was much more of a journey in working with people of different faiths who shared that vision of a better uh, and more peaceful uh, city, society, country, and world to look for ways that we could actually bring that principle to bear. And kind of the bumper sticker line that I often uh, share is that I wanted to have the best of faith to defeat the worst of religion, particularly when you have something like uh, religiously motivated uh, extremism and violence and terrorism. How can people of, I would argue, true motivation, true faith, defeat and minimize those who would seek to misuse or exploit religion in order to harm their fellow human being? And so I began to work with my friends and neighbors who were the Jewish, Muslim, and other, or uh, Christian and other uh, faiths. And that's how, for example, that trip where faith leaders travel to Auschwitz and Dachau in 2010 to learn about how hate speech, uh, discrimination, stereotyping can, even in a democratic society, lead to mass murder. And how we can learn from the tragedy of the Holocaust so that we can work together to prevent tragedies that are occurring today. So you can probably guess what my next question is, but given our current political situation where there is a lot of strife and I think there is concern, I'm not saying that there it will happen or not, but uh, I'm struck by what you're saying and, and sort of the 
sensitivity and the sort of richness of, of sort of the depth of, of how you're talking about this, you know, what advice would you have for people? Because I know a lot of people today are really frustrated. They feel like on both sides, we can't get across this huge divide that we've created. You seem to have done that in one of the hardest of spaces, which is faith. Politics is that other place where, you know, it's hard to talk about. So, you know, maybe a, a quick summary of I'm sure you've thought about this given your background. I think about I wouldn't pretend to have all the answers or any of the answers for that matter. But I would what I would, you know, humbly suggest maybe what has worked for me is just not to uh, to believe that I have a monopoly on the truth, whether it's political uh, policy wise or spiritual, that I could I can have my strongly held beliefs uh, about any number of issues, but I should be willing to, at the very least, respect the other, to listen and hear uh, the other from, and to learn, you know, it's kind of the old expression that I learned uh, growing up, you know, you, you can't know what another person feels until you walk a mile in their shoes. Well, that's just, you know, another way of saying, I want to I, I uh, really strive in my daily life to listen to people, particularly the people that I don't necessarily agree with or understand. And so rather than coming to them with a quick and snap judgment, I kind of just want to learn, hey, how do you come to that conclusion? Why do you believe what you do? What motivates you in your life? And then from there, in building common ground, and, and inevitably, Aaron, you find common ground, uh, then, we, then I want to work on things together. Because one thing to have a conversation, you know, uh, over a cup of coffee and, you know, bond, which is important, don't get me wrong, it's better than fighting. But it's, at some point, I want to, turn that friendship and that level of trust into action into action where it's say, hey you know let's work on that challenge of people in our community who are uh, going without health care or starving in the park and living without shelter or if there's uh, conflict in the Middle East or in other places how can we bring responsible voices to the political table to hopefully end that you know that that violence and I think it just takes people uh, getting to know each other talking, building that basic level of trust, and then acting on it in a very meaningful way. Well, and so speaking of, and before we get into what you're doing at Microsoft, you know, I, I was also struck in looking at your profile. Uh, I'm looking at, you know, chairman of the Conservative Inclusion Coalition, uh, currently member of the board at American Studies Center Parent Foundation for Radio America and the American Veterans Center, Center. That's a mouthful. And then the one I'd really like to talk about is, because we work a lot in the health space, but you're a member of the Corporate Board of Advisors for Children's National Health System. So you, you are doing a lot of this, putting it into practice and not just sort of talking a big game. So maybe let's talk a little bit about, you know, what you're doing with the Children's National Health System. Sure, sure. Uh, no, I'm, I've been honored uh, now to serve on the advisory board for the uh, Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. Uh, and again, it's just, you know, uh, I believe in trying to do what I can uh, as, as uh, humble and, and modest as that might be. Uh, and the Children's Hospital in Washington, D.C. is one of the premier uh, internationally known uh, hospitals that provides health care uh, for children, uh, regardless of their ability to uh, afford that health care. Um, and as on the one hand, uh, we are seeing amazing and breathtaking uh, uh, advances in the arena of medicine. Uh, including for uh, the treatment of children and, and uh, childhood diseases and injuries. Uh, we're also seeing, of course, that there's a challenge for many to be able to afford that. Uh, and of course, while in Washington, D.C., many elected officials are trying to struggle with the issue of 
uh, affordable health care, uh, accessibility, uh, better outcomes. Uh, in the meantime, there are these physicians and uh, health care providers, nurses and researchers at Children's who are just really on the front line. And so they had the foresight to create this corporate advisory board where people like myself who may not have uh, a necessary, uh, you know, in into that arena can try to help uh, at the very least financially, but if not in bringing more attention uh, to the uh, to the work that they do and other hospitals around our country are doing uh, for the least of us. Well, kudos for doing that. Um, very, very impressive. So. Modern Times, Microsoft, we mentioned that earlier, Director of External Affairs. So there will be a lot of people listening to this because we do get a lot of marketing and, and communications professionals. But for those that don't, you know, what, what do you do? What does a day in your life look like as the Director of External Affairs? Oh, thanks for asking, Aaron. Uh, you know, for the last seven plus years, I've been honored to serve uh, as uh, one of the uh, team members at Microsoft. Uh, it's not something that I anticipated coming from the Silicon Valley, being born and raised here, that I would be actually, you know, I went to Washington, D.C. to get involved uh, knee-deep in politics and uh, and the public policy arena, but lo and behold, uh, you know, my tech roots kind of pulled me back uh, a little over seven years ago. And I, I, I work at exactly at that intersection of, of public policy, of government relations and technology. Uh, as you well know, uh, working in that space, uh, oftentimes our lawmakers uh, really rely on people who are working in the tech arena uh, to help understand the latest and greatest uh, in technology uh, and whatever breakthroughs are being made as we know uh, those are happening every day um, and so it's it's really working uh, both within the company to be somebody who can help uh, navigate the political waters the public policy waters particularly in Washington DC but also to uh, work with not only elected officials but uh, different grassroots advocacy organizations, uh, think tanks, nonprofits, universities uh, on issues that really affect not only Microsoft but the tech uh, industry uh, writ large. And as we know, it's now much beyond just Microsoft, Facebook, uh, Google, and others, but now it's affecting the automotive, healthcare, uh, manufacturing, and so many other industries where, as you know, with the Internet of Things, technology now is is in every facet of our lives. And so that's been very exciting. Uh, and so I really enjoy that because I'm able to bring my political and policy expertise to bear uh, on my uh, daily work. And, uh, but likewise, I'm constantly uh, learning about many of the great uh, uh, technological advances that uh, many of the leading American companies are engaged in, including Microsoft. So one more quick question, then we'll get into some of the more fun ones. Sure. Um, this has been fun, too. Good, good. Well, it is fun. <laughs> I want to make sure, but I have my, my standard questions, which I sure. think are a little more playful, get to know you a little bit better. Um, sort of nodding to John and what the purpose of this, uh, the, the shift forum is, what is big business, particularly big tech business, and you happen to be one of the sort of five big behemoths, you know, what is their responsibility in this age of you know, lots of health issues, government strife, war, everything that's going on, you know, do you see as a role that, you know, there should be more, it's just right, maybe too much? Where do you stand on that? Well, I think there's always a, a, there's always a role and room for improvement of corporate citizenship. I think uh, as uh, companies come online uh, and if they are successful, uh, there's always room for us to look for ways to be uh, thought leaders, policy changers towards the positive in our society. And that, of course, affects a, a number of issue areas. Uh, and again, also, you know, Microsoft, like any other company, is made up of people. And we are, uh, we try to reflect 
uh, our, our employees uh, and their dreams and aspirations, and of course the dreams and aspirations of our, of our customers. Um, and so that's something that uh, you know, I think we take very seriously, um, but it's a work in progress. We're always looking for ways to improve, to be more socially responsible, to be better uh, stewards uh, of the blessings that we've been uh, able to achieve, but to move beyond uh, in our society uh, so that, again, those that may not be uh, readily uh, you know, able to access, whether it's technology or, or health care or even clean running water, um, that they're able to, to do that. And I think, uh, I'm again, I'm, I'm uh, inspired not only by the leadership that Microsoft has taken, but also that, uh, of course, one of our leading founders, Bill Gates, has taken not only in his leadership of Microsoft, but also with the Gates Foundation and that, uh, and that uh, organization that has been a leading uh, change maker around the globe. Yeah, and we heard a, a great talk yesterday from um, Susan uh, Delman, what is her last name? Sorry, I'm blanking on it. You're, the, you're, the CEO of the Gates that's Foundation. Right, that's so. right. Well, I, I, they, they keep a strong wall between the foundation and Desmond and Hellman, sorry. Susan yeah. Desmond Hellman, yes. So, she yeah. was saying yesterday her three bosses are Bill Gates, uh, Melinda Gates, and Warren Buffett. It's like, <laughs> Those are some pretty big bosses. That's right. Anyway, I do want to shift to um, you know something that is a little bit more playful, I should say, not necessarily fun. So there is something that you told the table, which might be this thing um, about your use of technology. Ironically, given where oh, you work. that I just love my BlackBerry. Yeah. But uh, well, so you know, I do like to ask guests what's something about you that people may not know, and you said that. You never owned a particular device, which I thought oh, was interesting. Yeah, I've in addition to having your BlackBerry. In addition to having a BlackBerry, I've never owned a computer in my life. That is correct. And uh, much to my uh, friends and my my mother's chagrin, I don't have internet at home either. Wow. Um, and so when she was visiting me recently, she said, well, how am I supposed to watch my shows? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, uh, I'm i a little bit of a slow adopter. Uh, let's just or maybe a purposeful way. adopter, right? <laughs> well, you know, I... Um, I, I like I take full advantage uh, at work, so it's not like uh, I'm some type of purist. But uh, you know, um, at home I'm just kind of I'm more of a, a movie watcher and a reader. You probably get a lot more done than the rest of us. <laughs> You'd be surprised. So my next question is uh, of the tactile nature again, and that's books. And I do like to ask our guests, you know, is there a book or two that you've read recently that inspired you that you'd like to share with our guests? Yeah, the most recent book I just read was The American Spirit, which actually is a collection of speeches given, uh, written and given by David McCullough. And of course, David McCullough is well, uh, well known for his authorship of so many great works, 1776, uh, Truman, um, and John Adams, and uh, so many others. And I just really enjoyed uh, the collection of his speeches. Uh, first, I've had the, the opportunity to meet him on uh, several occasions. I'm just a real fan of his in the truest sense. Uh, he's somebody who has lived an incredible life, um, but, uh, you know, has shared that through his books. Uh, really, you know, at the best uh, American exceptionalism, why we're a special country, why Americans are special, why we're motivated to do what we do, whether it is to build a great bridge, uh, you know, from Brooklyn to Manhattan or to, um, you know, to lead a country at the very founding uh, from, a, from colonies into a, you know, a, a superpower um, or just so many great things that people have done, known and well known and unknown. And that just is something I, I find very inspiring. So I really enjoyed uh, that collection of essays and look forward to his next book uh, and work. That's cool. Sounds like heady stuff. And uh, 
I, I am building a library myself, so I, w I won't say I'm going to read it tomorrow, but uh, I am listening. I think I mentioned at the table to Fire and Fury right now, which is interesting. Um, so last question, which, you know, ironically ends up being one of the toughest questions. I think you already have an answer, which is good. But I do like to ask guests, you're stuck on a deserted island. Don't worry about the technology, but you can take one album with you. Which album would that be and why would you pick it? I mean, hands down, Master of Puppets by Metallica. I'm a Bay Area guy. I grew up with those guys. I'm just, you know, so excited that they continue to have amazing success. Um, and, you know, full, uh, full, full disclosure, I saw them three times this last summer, front row. Um, did you see them at Outside Lands by any chance? Or? I, no, I saw them. Uh, I, I did see them at Outside. Oh, I saw them at Outside. No, I, sorry. I saw them at Outside Lands. I'm confusing because I had two shows in San Francisco. I saw them at Outside Lands. I saw them at Atlanta. And I saw them in Baltimore. I did not see them at... Um, at the Band Together concert. I was trying to make it out for that uh, to raise money for the, the fires. Uh, the, yes. the fires, yep. But I am going to see them next month at Giants, uh, you know, the, they do. AT&T Park, yes. AT&T, yep. Metallica night. And then they just announced their, their 2018 North American tour. So sac shows in Sacramento, Los Angeles, Fresno. It's coming, coming to a city near you. Well, that's awesome. And I'm always surprised. I would not have pegged you for a Metallica <laughs> guy, but uh, I was like ZZ Ward, who's a singer, and she picked Black Sabbath, and I was like, did not hey, see that coming. Go. But it's why I asked you. the question, right? <laughs> uh, well, anyway, so Suhail Khan, who is the uh, Director of External Affairs at Microsoft, and so much more. I've really enjoyed sitting down. We're at the uh, Nuco Shift Forum that John Patel puts on. Um, this is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group, the host of the What's Know podcast show. Suhail, thank you. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash what to know.